Hello, and welcome to the Television Spotlight on the Comic Book Page podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, we'll be having a spoiler-filled discussion about a television show that we think you'll enjoy. In this episode, I am joined by my sister, and we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion on the second season of The Capture. Now, this is a show that is set in London, or in the UK, and the first season came out, what, two years ago now? At least, yeah. So it's been a little while, and I don't have great memories of the first in terms of specific plot details. It's a fairly tightly written show. It really is. It's a show you... I was going to say you need to pay attention to, but it's really more than that. It's a show you could watch a second time after you've finished it and get a whole another layer of here's where they set this up, here's where they did this. Yeah. The first season was around the murder of somebody and how in London they've got all these closed circuit TV cameras. They've got footage of everything. Mm -hmm. And what happened and what the footage set happened differed. And it came out that there was a program called Correction where they could basically fake the footage. Well, the line they use in season two more than once that I think kind of sums up nicely what they say they're doing is they can turn intelligence into evidence. They've got the information this happened. They they can create the footage that yeah. it happened. And in the first season, it was mainly removing people from a shot of a city block or something like that, or making it look like a car was in one place when it was really a block or two over just because the feeds got switched or renamed or whatever. And then in this season, they really kind of ratchet that up a notch to where the deep faking they're doing is not just removing somebody from a scene, although we do get some of that, but having taken footage, having scanned and made a 3D model of somebody, and then deep faking an interview with them or other footage with them or replacing the calm traffic for a police unit and the voices they're hearing, there are really two conversations going, what one yeah. side thinks happening and what the other side thinks happening. And there were a couple of scenes in the second season where they did that, and it was just very smoothly done. Now, in the very first episode, I wish I could talk to the editor or someone and ask, how do you think motion-sensitive lights work? Oh, because there was the killer who'd been edited out of the footage, we see the lobby, he's entering in, and the revolving door revolves, but there's no person. Yeah, I like that. The elevator door's open. Nobody goes in, they close. But then we get up to the upper level. The door's open, we know the person who's not visible there steps out, and the motion-sensitive lights turn on. He walks down the hall, and they turn on in sequence. That works for me. He goes, he kills somebody, and he walks back, and the, the lights go out in sequence. But they go out in sequence... From the apartment, back towards the elevator. As he walks back, and the last one goes off right after the doors to the elevator close. Like his walking back turned them off. Really, what should have happened is as he's getting away from the elevator, having walked out of it originally, they turn off, the light at the apartment door stays on, mm -hmm. and then follows him out and then goes off in sequence. Yeah. If they're on a timer or some such. Yeah. But that's... That's not what they did. It it seems like what should have happened. Well, and it's it's this disconnect between reality and 
someone liking the visual of because he went to the door to kill somebody, the lights going out and leaving the scene in darkness. Yes, there's what's the dramatic shot for the show, and there's the how would this really play out given the way timed automatic lights usually work. I mean, I have a perverse sense of humor. I know this. Some of my doctor's offices have motion-sensitive lights on a timer in the patient rooms. Well, so you just stay still and let them turn off? (laughs) Yes. Let them know they've taken too long? Well, not on purpose, but in one particular doctor's office, I will sit there and basically see if I can get them to turn off and stay off. Yeah. As just kind of a, can I get into a Zen meditative state? And one day the doctor came in having caught me having done this and the lights turn on as she comes in, which startles the heck out of the doctor. It's like, what just happened? Because they're expecting the lights to be on by the time they realize that the lights are on. Yeah. Yeah. And so the poor doctor's like, oh my, how long did I keep you waiting? Yeah. It's a subtle way of pointing that out. Very passive aggressive of you. I, it wasn't my intent, but and the way the door opens, I'm kind of behind the door from her. So the doctor's literally kind of looking around the door like, did you fall asleep? Are you dead? <laughs> yeah. You know, but so to me, motion sensitive lights are, well, and I have several around my house for hallways. Well, and how many apartment complexes or whatever have them to where, you know, in the time it would take for you to get from an elevator down a f- not that long of a hall and then I guess kill somebody more back, that they turn on and off that way. But it's one of those things that the guy in the apartment was actually watching the footage, knowing somebody had been edited out, seeing what's Mm -hmm. going on. It's like, this isn't good. I see a shadow under the door. And it's like, oh, he's being killed by vampires. I don't think we ever established a great reason for him being the first victim. I think if he had not been not just ethnic Chinese, but a... uh, not expat, but a... Um... If they had established him on the review committee for the facial recognition team mm-hmm. and then killed him, yes, that would have made sense. Yes. Because he was presumably the empty chair. In he the... was. Yeah. And it took me forever to figure that out. Yeah. Well, and there's a lot going on because at this point, this is like one of the first things we're seeing. We haven't really reset the scene. Who who are the cops? What's the status quo with that, the government, etc.? These episodes, there's six episodes this season, averaging an hour long. Mm-hmm. Most are a little shy, and then the last one's a, almost an hour and ten minutes. Oh, the last episode I thought was fantastic. Well, and it was one of those in the last episode. It's like I've I've been following along as they're going for the whole season of six episodes. And throughout the last episode, it's like, I'm not sure where they're going. I mean, I, I see maybe the next half step or something. Well, but we... when they build up to the final interview yeah. Which was beautifully done and um, a little magically done in a few places. What did we watch? We watched one episode. One episode, then four, and then a final one tonight. Right. So in three sittings. Well, I was going to say, I think holding off, because I wanted to watch the last episode just right after the other four, but it was so late at night. It was late enough that if we'd done that and then started recording, it's like, I would have been too tired. Yeah. And I'm glad we held off. I'm Well, I'm really glad for two reasons. One, because you're right. It would have been way too late at night to be recording because, you know, midnight podcasting, not my forte. No, not for me either. But it gave us that 24 hours. It gave a little time to digest and then come back in. Yes. And so when I sat down to watch the final episode, 
I kind of had in mind, okay, not just what do I think has happened as opposed to what do the writers think they've written. Because that that penultimate episode left off with the main character who's a a police detective, DCI or whatever. Mm -hmm. I have yet to get used to the, the UK ranks and stuff for their police. Anyways, she has narrowly avoided being killed, is being taken captive. But then the question is, of the the team of two that came to kill her, one kills the other. Who sent the team? Who sent the one guy to kill the other guy? There's another guy overseeing her being kind of taken or viewing it from above. So it seemed like there was one op with another op inside of it and possibly one on top of that. Mm -hmm. And it's like there are enough different pieces because we've got British intelligence, we've got US intelligence, we've got a third-party software company that winds up being the brains behind not just the deepfake technology, which in and of itself is is insane, because it's not just facial stuff. They've got, you know, body movement and all sorts of, of things. But also they've got this this magic algorithm that is so tapped into social media and everything that it can not only know what like everybody in the internet is doing, but predict what they're gonna do. Well, and how they're gonna react. Yes. Which was the really the fascinating thing, you know, when he was saying 100% of men will say they would never hit a woman under any circumstances. But if you look at the social media, 10% of men will say, well, there are exceptions. Well, or they're threatening them in the social media as well. Yes. You know, kind of under no exception. They would say under no exception, under no conditions would they do it. Yet their actions and their, their viewpoints online, et cetera, run against that. Yeah. Now, I mean... We watched this all so recently, and yet the episodes do blur for me. But it was within the first and second episode, really, that we got Xanda, the Chinese company. That we got in the first episode, because we're following the Minister of Security in Mm -hmm. the UK, who is overseeing a report on which facial recognition should they go with. Should they go with the Chinese company? And the problem with that is the Chinese company, by the way the show is claiming Chinese law, is obligated to share it with their government. So you'd effectively be handing over UK security to the Chinese government. And that seems like a, a not wise thing to do in this guy's mind, which I it does seem kind of foolish. So yeah. So when he's basically put in a position where it seems like on live TV, he's he's basically saying, yep, we should give him the contract and stuff. Mm. And that was done over a, a video interview that was fake. Then he later, and this was fourth third or fourth episode does an in-studio interview oh that was so beautifully done we find out the bbc studio they're in totally automated and there's a control room and what the control room was hearing and seeing of the conversation versus the conversation he was having with the the interviewer Mm -hmm. very different and the lead investigator we're following the whole time She's in the studio watching that, but able to hear what's going on in the control room, goes into the control room, sees that conversation that's being sent out, and is walking back and forth with the two things. Yeah. And then confronts those two with a, I need you to to, to watch this video. It's like, oh, but we just did it. Trust me. Mm-hmm. And there's some stuff where deep fake technology, to some degree, totally exists. Would it exist to the level that they could deep fake, uh, essentially a Zoom interview? Probably, because you can pre-record, you can cheat, you can set the camera angles, and they established some of that happened. But to then have hacked into the BBC between the studio 
and the control room on the other side of a wall and live, real-time fake the kind of thing. Without knowing the questions they're going to be asked. It almost doesn't matter because all you need is the input. You need the cut from from when the interviewer starts the thing. Right. You can do that on a cut to the other camera, which apparently was then locked in or whatever. So you can limit what you've got to cheat and just do the vi- the, the verbal part of the other side. But if you at least, yeah, if you at least know, I want to say that start point. And I'm actually thinking back to like I saw in person uh, Joe Biden being interviewed and he came across as frustrated with his interviewer mm-hmm. because the interviewer sits down with him and immediately launches into the first question. And Biden comes pretty close to holding up his hands for time out. With let a, me introduce, let me say a few words. Yeah, yeah. Can we slow down? We happen to be at the Lyndon Johnson Library. I'd like to thank the members of the Johnson family who are here. And he he slowed down and did the things that the interviewer should have. Yeah, yeah. And that in past years, the interviewers had. Well, different interviewer and such. Yes, yes. But that's the kind of thing. If you know what the questions are, if you, the interviewee and the interviewer are on the same page as to, let's do a little preamble, let's get into it, let's do that. Right. But I'm just sitting here and I'm thinking, so even, technically, even if you don't know the first question, there is a way like happened in that case. Where you can gracefully, I don't want to say back down from the question. Really, you need that first handoff and be prepared for that. Yeah. Either to be, I'm glad you asked that question, or let me start with. Yeah. And you could arguably do a let me start with and just go with that and you've got the one path. And there is technology that exists today for like podcast editing Mm. that will listen to the voices, get used to the voices, and be able to transcribe it. And then if in the editing process, somebody misspeaks, they say word A and you want word B, you can just change the edit in the typing and it will deep fake that word. Interesting. One of the things it can't do is obviously fake the background noise as well, I think. Although mm-hmm. I haven't really tried this technology because I'm not willing to, to spend that kind of a budget yeah. on podcast editing. But the enunciation, the way you say mm. a word, the speed, the intonation, the cadence, the the emotion behind it. Yeah. That's something that's a lot harder to do. And part of what I felt was kind of the magic deep faking here was particularly in the interview scene at the end where we've got a full shot at times of two people in a room in the chairs, full body and such. And the person being deep fake is gesturing as they would, or as you might imagine they would. And it, it's in time with what they're saying, the cadence of their speech of of where they pause where they go forward the blinking the the tilting of the head all those sorts of things and that's all on screen in place of where she is facing literally a monitor on a rolling stand yeah instead of the chair that had been there a few moments when the guy first sat down and was set up and then walked out it's been replaced by yeah a monitor on a, a tripod or whatever that they actually cut in between or whatever all of this was being controlled by a script. And I've played enough over the, the years with 3D animation tools and stuff like this. I, I'm no expert in any of this. But getting it to where you've got everything from the, the blinking of the eyes, the tilt of the head, the, the facial gestures, the, the physical arm and whatnot gestures, crazy hard. You hit that on Canny Valley and stuff. And of course, they gloss over all of that for mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. 
Now, if you figure it's a high-tech company, they've sunk a ton of time and money into this, how they could afford to do that, don't know. There's, there's an aspect of, I can give them some leeway if this is something they've, they've come, you know, hell or high water, we're dead set to do, and they have the budget. What got me was when walkie-talkies got hacked. Well, walkie-talkies these days tend to be digital transmissions. Mm, okay. So if you can get into the system, and there was one or two places where she is confronting the tech guy, she's calling on the radio, and it's basically replacing whatever she's saying with, yep, all clear, all clear. Yeah, and we hear it come out of the computer at one point. Yeah, okay. So there, it's just voice activated, not even voice recognition. Yeah. And when we're first seeing her at the hospital and the video footage has been faked, the the audio chatter, making it seem like everything's okay. And what got me was first season, the correction department had, either they had her, I guess she was a victim of the correction department Mm -hmm. at that point, was seeing one thing and what they were seeing on the CCTV didn't match. But when your whole organization's point is to make the not match happen... You should expect to be able to fall victim to that. Yeah. And have some kind of safeguard and stuff like that against it or something, a game plan of some sort. And it really comes down to given where deep fake technology is today in the real world, we're a ways from where it is in this this fictional world. I don't know how far away. And it's something that is going to get pushed further and faster with every high-tech movie that comes out, because of course they can use it for entertainment purposes, there's nothing nefarious there. But once it's available there, I mean, how far away are we from, at the very least, if somebody had the budget, getting like the LED studio thing they used for like the Mandalorian and stuff to get the backgrounds and such, Mm -hmm. or even just a, a flat screen or whatever for that, and being able to fake, okay, I'm I'm now in this location versus that location. I mean, I've seen a YouTube video or two where with a a fairly slimmed down thing the size of a a wall in a large bedroom or something, you can do that. And then it's keyed to the camera such that as the camera moves, the image moves and such. Oh, wild. So it gives you that that depth of field, the the background. Mm -hmm. It's like in the one scene in one of the Mission Impossible movies where they've got the screen and they're moving it down the hall. To get to you know a doorway or whatever, and there's one guard at the end of the hall, and it's monitoring his eye movement and where he is, and adjusting what it's projecting accordingly mm-hmm. to give again that that you know how does the hallway look from the left side of the hall versus the right side of the hall, mm-hmm. and again you throw enough technology at this, it it all comes down to we already should be questioning what we're seeing in the media just for storyteller slant. Mm. Yeah, but now if we've got to add in the obvious political slant, but also the the special effects, what we're seeing may not really have happened, even though it looks real. Adding in the ability to make it sound like somebody else, make it look like somebody else, it really amps up the disbelief aspect, and that's something this story played with so much. Well, we've seen a lot of programs recently. They've been doing kind of the check your sources isn't quite the angle on it, but the, you know, people are seeing stuff on social media and TV and getting all amped up about it. And then somebody says, wait, that riot footage is from four years ago. Yep. It's, it, things are being taken out of context and strategically placed into a different context. Yeah. And you can frame 
situations by showing the same footage, but just with a different lead in. And, oh, it was a peaceful day here, or, oh, it was it was a horrific day, and the, the place was vacant because of it, kind yeah. of. So I was really impressed with the writing on this show, with how well it pretty much played within the bounds of the technology as they set it up. Now, mm-hmm. granted, it's super tech versus real tech, but it was believable for the most part. And then also, it's a spy show of sorts, even though it's more police government, although Frank, the, the US guy, is definitely a spy of some sort. Who can you trust? Mm-hmm. Can you really trust them? And there are a couple of places, particularly in the finale, where it felt like allegiances were kind of floating about and shifting with the wind. Frank got in some good lines near the end of the finale. Oh, yeah. And there were a couple of times where the detective played a couple of people and set the situation up such that the one person who really had the authority to stop her in some case wasn't going to help the person who asked them to. Yeah. Because certain things had gone down. And again, it had some tight writing. That's not to say it was a flawless show, but it didn't have any glaring flaws other than there are a couple of times where I'm like, wait a sec, what just happened? And I'm not sure I fully followed. Well, early on, Isaac Turner was asking the... Uh, and that's the uh, Secretary of, or the Minister of, Sec- of Security. Yes. Minister of Security. The MP. Yeah. yeah. He was asking the cop, Carrie, do you have a plan? Yes. And at that point, it was like she had two thirds... the start of a plan. Yeah. She had a third or two thirds of a plan, but she also knew she needed more. She needed... She was gathering the evidence, but she knew she couldn't do what she needed to do without help. But the way she got Turner on board, the way she got the reporter on board, Mm -hmm. all made sense, Mm -hmm. all played. There were a couple of things like, oh, I think this was a setup for this person's benefit. Yes. And it really all led very successfully, I thought, without telegraphing it, up to that final interview scene, which was, was beautifully done. Yeah. And with the reveal of deepfake technology exists, heck, I could be deepfaked or whatever. Other than the, oh, it cuts to the live footage of the TV and the stand and stuff back to the fake guy and stuff. All of it was was really well thought out. How they knew he'd walk out, how they had the right car and driver at the right spot. They knew he would walk out because he no longer trusted her, the reporter. You're right. You're right. That was set up. Because she had interviewed the lady in Lagos. Yeah, yeah. He knew he couldn't trust the reporter. It was it was going and to be a bad interview. Plus, the last interview, the last two he kind of did with her had been faked. Yeah, and we knew that Tom at Vanguard, the more mature gentleman, was basically on Carrie's side. Mm-hmm. So there towards the end, when we've got the penultimate episode, where he's looking to Gemma with the what just happened? Did this go the way we think it went? There was a lot of times of did this go the way we thought it went, either for the characters or for the viewers. Yes. Came in and never in a, oh, you've got to be kidding me, but in a, you've got to got to have your eye on the ball on this thing. Definitely. Well, and this is a show all about hacking isn't quite the right word. I mean, they're manipulating the deception. footage. Yes. But when they can manipulate the CCTV footage all over London, and then they get hacked, and their footage gets manipulated, their feeds, and their audio gets manipulated. And so suddenly they're looking around going, can we trust anything 
on our monitors. Well, and they've got to basically almost burn down and restart their tech stack. And one of the guys says, hey, maybe I'm out of line on this, but are we sure this wasn't an inside job? I'd hate to move somewhere else and bring the problem with us. Yeah. And is told, yeah, that's not your job. You know, and there were a couple of things where the inherent paranoia of this sort of organization makes sense and is played out well. And I think on a second viewing, we might pick up a few things that we probably missed this time. Mm-hmm. Yet I don't feel like I was completely lost and I, I don't feel like it was un- I mean, I really enjoyed this. I don't feel that there were any shortcomings because I mean, I'm trying to think the right way to phrase this. I feel the writers respect the viewers. Yes. Treat them as intelligent participants in the story. And I think there may have been things we missed and may get a little better sense of on a second viewing, but not one where I feel I've got to do a second viewing to make sense of the story. I think Isaac Turner is lucky that Detective Carey treated him as well as she did in the finale and with as much respect as she did. Well, particularly the last conversation they had, yeah, there was no reason for him to think that. But he was... He was one that at one point looked like his life was being destroyed, but actually came out of the season in fairly decent shape, all things considered. I'd love to see where they pick up on a third season with this, if they do one. I mean, an argument can be made for his life was being destroyed, then his career was on the rise, but his personal life was being trashed. Well, and this all goes to that magic algorithm of... We had to tear you down to build you up in the public mind. You were too good to be true, so we tarnished you, and and you came out polished and, and very acceptable to the audience. Yeah, yeah. And then when his, his marriage was getting destroyed, and he confronts the guy behind it, and he's like, well, we knew that could happen. He's like, what? Well, and your your marriage works against you anyway. Yeah, it wasn't an asset, so it was, yeah. it was acceptable losses in his mind, whereas yeah. the guy who was married with kids didn't think so. Well, and the detective recognized the value of the marriage. So mm-hmm. in the end, she placed the marriage above the career when she was trying to help him. I don't know that I agree with that because I think she got it to where he was seen as the whistleblower working for the people. It allowed the, the avatar to explain things to the wife and to the public that needed to be explained. It was something that I don't think she was trying to benefit the marriage over the career. I think she was trying to cover all the bases. But flat out said, not going to run for prime minister, not going to run for head of home office. Basically, all the offices, all the jobs that bad guy Gregory wanted him to run for, flat out in the script said, nope, not going to run for it. Oh, interesting. I Okay, I must have missed that. I mean, early- There was enough else going on. Definitely, definitely. But it was early in the script, and it was kind of a a low key of, you know, right now the priorities are elsewhere. Right now I need to be supporting the people doing it. No, those campaigns aren't in my near future. Okay. The not in the near future type stuff versus definitely not going to do it. Again, Didn't say never. Yeah. Because I I think they could go with a second or third season. There's the groundswell of support for him, which everything was kind of- surprisingly building to at one point yeah but i mean at one point probably the fourth maybe fifth episode it looked like people were gonna have a vote of no confidence for the prime minister at any moment yes and political fortunes were made and and lost at various points Mm -hmm. depending on the the whim of an algorithm the perception of the public etc there was a lot going on here well and going back to perceptions well first of all Isaac wants to have an argument with his wife 
but he's afraid that there are cameras and or listening devices in his house. Mm -hmm. So not that he's coming across as paranoid, but he drags his wife into the backyard. And he's sitting there with the mower the whole time. (laughs) He's pushing the lawnmower around the backyard while he's yelling at his wife and flailing his arms around. Well, and at one point later, there's a a photo of that from a neighbor's yard or vantage point or whatever. Yes. I really wish they had done a reverse shot because he's going out there with this image. Yeah. And it looks like he's searching for cell phone signal. Yeah. And then he finally gets the angle and says, ah, that's where it came from. And if they'd given us a reverse shot. Yes. And we'd seen like an apartment building or or something at the right angle. Yeah. Or a house up on a higher hill or something. And somebody in the window and suddenly closing the curtain or something like that is like, ah. I agree, because it reminded me both of the stories about Princess Diana would go to, I want to say it was Buckingham Palace, to swim, and the paparazzi figured out where they could view over the wall and see her going into the pool. And then there was also, I want to say it was, it was someone in Alaska, I thought it was the Palins, but anyways, they were petitioning to get permission to put up a 10-foot fence so that the neighbors couldn't see into the backyard. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, if if he had held up the camera and we'd gotten that reverse angle and it had been kind of the, that's it, I knew that fence should have been two feet taller. Well, I don't think any size fence over like, under like 30, 40 feet would have been enough, given the way he seemed to be looking <laughs> and the angle of the shot. There is that. So, but again, there were some of those things that really showed they were thinking things through. There were some callbacks to some earlier things. It was it was a well-written show. Yeah, it really was. And the lead character, she came across as very intelligent, very ethical, trying to do the right thing, but not infallible or unbelievable. Willing to sacrifice and willing to pay a price oh, to yeah. do the right thing. Yeah. If they do a third season of this, particularly depending on when it was, because it was two years since the first, I would probably want to go back and rewatch the series from the beginning just to kind of get back up to speed into it properly. Because there were a couple of times, there were a few characters, it's like, I think I should recognize this guy, but I don't. Mm -hmm. One of the things that they didn't deal with with dialogue that I wish they had is the brand new trainee or whatever, the girl Tan, after the Chinese embassy, being the one left on surveillance with someone else. And I mean, I get the whole, we can't trust the cameras, we need someone with eyes on. I think they should have owned up to the, you're you're ethnic Chinese, you are better equipped or more accustomed to recognizing Chinese faces, and we need a 100% identification, and it's going to be at night, most likely. So you are our best chance for an accurate in-person if we can't rely on computers and facial recognition. I almost think the shortcoming on those scenes was when she was in the embassy with, I guess it was Danny, the mm-hmm. one of the head of the whole operation and such. And they were being accused of, oh, you brought her because she's Chinese. Mm-hmm. And to, to kind of pander to us. If he had shot back with the, if I had not brought somebody Chinese, you would be berating me for not having done that. Yeah. There was a no win on this situation. I went with what I thought was a respectful approach, you know? Well, and I felt that there was a lot in the reaction shots that 
Unless they got resolved off screen, but... There were a couple of things that because there was so much going on, again, that character in particular, she was in the final episode. I don't recall her really speaking or doing anything of merit other than being kind of in a crowd shot of here's the rest of the group. Mm -hmm. But there wasn't anything she needed to do either. Well, in the head of Xanda, he was a decoy or presumed to be a decoy. Well, once he... They went to his home. Drove past the airport, essentially. Yeah. I don't know that he was ever really mentioned again. Nope. Yeah. But that was about the point at which Carrie realized we're being pointed to the Chinese, but if you listen to what fake Isaac Turner said in the interview, This didn't benefit that company. Why would they have said that? Yeah. 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 Going back to it's an intelligent and thoughtful character as well as script. Yes. Yes. It's a well-written show, and that character as the lead detective was, like I said, believable without being superhuman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and believably caught between ethics, trying to do the right thing, honestly trying to stay alive at times. Oh, yeah. She was between a rock and a couple of hard places. I mean, she knew she was in over her head. Yeah. And I mean, could rise to the challenge. Yes. And did. Yeah. I mean, the way she played everything at the end, still would like to have seen exactly how she set a few of those things up, but it was beautifully done. We saw Abigail copy things off the computer before she tried to deal with the hard drive. I thought Abigail had been sent for the computer and we didn't see her again until she's calling and Abigail's saying, did I do it right? And then after that in flashback footage. Yeah, in flashback, we saw some of that. Right. Because they decided to give us some flashback footage to fill in some gap. Yeah. So in sure. flashback footage, we saw the copying off the hard drive. We saw the gathering at the pub mm -hmm. that filled us a little bit better in on who was helping her during the finale episode. We saw the, the pubs, you're right, her walking into the pub two or three times, it but, felt like. Right, but we had her gathered at the pub after the funeral yeah. with Tom and Nadia, I think, is the cop's name. I think so. And there were like two or three others there. That it was so quick, I couldn't figure out who they were. Yeah, there were a couple of things. I think they gave us what we needed, but it was either too fast or out of context, or yeah. I just didn't put all the pieces together. Well, and one of the previously ons, they were trying to, you know, they always try to make the previously on as both informative as possible and as brief as possible. Yes. And at the beginning of the second episode, I felt they cut too short when they were clipping out from Xanda's promotional video. Getting that Xanda had the 3D model of everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Because they only mentioned Xanda did facial recognition, not that they did the 3D modeling. Which is critical for the whole deep fake stuff. Yeah. Like I said, I think there's something on a second viewing we'd probably pick up or get a better sense of, mm -hmm. but not to the point of being lost or, or thoroughly confused. Because again, there's a couple of things here I don't have firm grasps on, but I the story f pulled together and landed the ending. The ending landed so well, and I, like I said, I really appreciate that we had those 24 hours yeah. where things kind of sank in, and I came to that last episode with what I knew I wanted, what I thought I knew was going on, mm -hmm. with who I thought was behind it. Mm -hmm. I was a little off on who was in on the conspiracy. I thought one person had been in on it all along, as opposed to joining late yeah. in the game. Yeah, And, I mean, all of this... I mean, I get when you're behind a conspiracy like that, you, you want to point the finger at well, someone else, but all the finger pointing was kind of fascinating. It's not just that there's a conspiracy. It's that there are 
probably half a dozen key people with very specific agendas, mm. many of which are at cross purposes with each other, mm -hmm. and trying to figure out how it all plays together and the kind of that path through it. Mm -hmm. Like I said, it's it's an intelligently written show going on the assumption that the audience is intelligent and able to follow along. The characters, I think, got, and the short end of the script is not the way to phrase it this time, but the characters, I think, were poorly served by the script, were Eliza and Reese, the assistants to Isaac Turner. I would agree with that. They could have been set up a little better and the payoff a little better. I think they were more chess pieces than characters to some degree. I agree. Reese... Reese basically seeming to work for the software guy bothered me, and it didn't seem to be well explained. And no idea when that started. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it was like Reese was Isaac's assistant until suddenly it's, I was told to bring you downstairs, and now I'm telling you what to do. He got co-opted, and it seemed like he was brought into the circle earlier and bought in earlier. Yeah. 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 And he had no problem manipulating his boss. There are a couple of things like that that either we'd get better sense of on a second viewing or they fell a little short on in the writing. I feel like Reese had to have been involved from episode one. And I say that because in episode one, when Isaac Turner is at the safe house and the BBC interview is announced. He was one of the people in the loop who could have set all that up. Reese was the one who was supposed to have called the BBC and said the interview's not happening. Yeah. Isaac says safe house. Yeah, yeah. I think some of what impresses me the most with the writing is it's easy for the writers to either overestimate or underestimate what the audience mm. is able to pick up on. Mm -hmm. And I thought they were pretty much on target with where we were at. Yeah. I think there are a couple of things they could have closed the loop on a little bit tighter, a little bit cleaner, mm -hmm. but nothing where it's like, well, that came out of nowhere or I'm totally lost. What's going on? Whereas again, there's still some, some, Fine points I don't have totally nailed down, because it's not like they telegraphed it or tied it off with a bow either. Yeah. But it's something, if you're looking for something that is, I don't want to say challenging to watch, but rewarding. If you're, yes. And it's not like you've got to put in massive effort. You don't have to decrypt the show. But if you if you go along with it and, and watch it, not just have it play in the background or something. No, it's a whodunit. It, it, well, it's a couple of whodunits in, in yeah. parallel or whatever. It's, I think it's uh, way better than average show in a lot of respects in that sense. I think in Isaac Turner, we found a bit of a reluctant hero a few times over. In a couple of different ways. Yeah. I think in DCI, Carrie, we found, I almost want to say a knight in shining armor. Well, and again, a reluctant hero because she was kind of forced into it and knew if she didn't do it, it wouldn't get done. Definitely. But she more she has more of the, the qualities of the knight in shining armor, if you will. The one who, she does what's right because it's right. She's got the moral code and is yeah. willing to make sacrifices for the right thing to get done. Yeah. And she was fun to watch. It was yeah. easy to see where she was in control of things, where a few things were in over her head, and where she had to be very careful how she was playing certain people yes. or just handling certain people. And that was one where I really felt in that last episode, they kept the audience on their toes of, okay, can I believe her when she seems to be leaning this way or that way? Or is yeah. this a misdirect? Is it not? When she's trying to figure out throughout who she can trust. I mean, the breadcrumbs that they, they lay out, you know, they drop one in episode four or five that they pick up pretty early 
in the final episode. And then they just kind of spin the meaning of it at the end of the episode. And you're like, whoa, something we thought was going to work against her works for her. Yeah. They spent the time on the writing. Yeah. It showed they had a good cast. It showed. And they did a good job with the tech. Yeah. You know, even when it's like, okay, let's situate the deep fake into the scene kind of a thing. And there were one or two times I was actually thinking that the solution for this is they're claiming it's a deep fake. It's, it's a twin, whether it's a biological twin or somebody made to look like a twin, you know. Yeah. They could have gone that way and I'd, I'd have almost been satisfied. But I was really happy with the, the quality of this show and the, the substance in it. And just again, the, the really creepy idea of somebody watching themselves on live TV saying something they're not saying and they're you know, not there and just the whole mind-blowingness of then having to deal with the consequences of that and not being able to say, but it was deep faked. Yeah. Or being able to prove that either. Yeah. It was very interesting show. I think probably better this season than first, although first I thought was solid. If I, would I recall agree. correctly. No, I agree with you. I mean, like you said earlier, though, they they amped it up in really good ways. Well, and this is one that we had found out about through Comic Con mm-hmm. back originally, and it's like, oh yeah, we should check this out. And I'm really glad we watched this season. Yeah, me too. So highly recommend. Anything else? I think that does it. Cool. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.